Tonight, we're going to be in these two psalms. We'll see. Maybe we get to a third psalm. Uh, we'll see how it works out. But um, there's uh, so much here. We're going to see as we go through these songs, these psalms, this hymn book of Israel, we're going to see that their prayers and their proclamations, that when we learn, you know, like David did, to seek the Lord and just bring everything before him. We might not pray imprecatory psalms anymore like he did, like he was praying, Lord, get him, Lord, you know, kill him, <laughs> you know, but because uh, we know better, we have New Testament light, but, but still we can pour out our heart to God. And that's the main thing we're going to see today. You know, I, I was reading a story and uh, it's uh, interesting about 10 people who survived the impossible. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this uh, lady named Vesna Vulovich. Uh, she was a stewardess who survived a terrorist attack from 33,000 feet in the air. She fell. Any of you guys heard of her? She's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I figured you guys might know who this is. But apparently there was an explosion and uh, she was in the tail end of the plane and she fell. You guys know 33,000 feet she fell. I was trying to search where did she fall, where did she fall? And she fell, I guess, into a snowy mountain and she survived. Um, fractured uh, skull, multiple bones that were broken, uh, including uh, her back. But the cool thing about it is even though they said she would never walk again, she did. And what it is, and uh, we're going to see today, is in one sense a picture of how the enemy and, and just the odds, they're against us. I mean, how could you possibly be delivered out of that situation? How could you possibly survive the king of Israel who's coming to take you down. The whole army's against you. Satan and all his demons are against you. This predicament that you're in, how are you going to make it out? And, and the answer is, of course, there's only one answer. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so we're all in a battle. The, the devil, he's after me just like he's after you. And some will be casualties. The only question is, will that be you? So it's cool to be able to study the Psalms together and to be able to glean uh, from David, who was a, uh, saved by God, and, and in the process, prayerfully, we'll grow and we'll be able to learn even how to pray, how to sing to God. And so let me open up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that as we study it together, that you would teach us, Lord, and that you would just help me, Lord, to be able to share your word, Lord. There's so much here. I don't know what to highlight, but I know that you do. And so, Lord, speak to us, we pray, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 34, we read, is a psalm of David. When he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Now, we have the background to this in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I was going to just explain it to you, but I think it's actually faster to read it. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is the background. Uh, David's now fleeing. Saul is after him. David makes a pit stop at the high priest. He gets the sword of Goliath. He has a little bit of bread. He's probably not alone. And so we read then in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 10, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, 
Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretending madness in their hands. And he scratched on the doors of the gate, and he let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so we see David in verse 1 of chapter 22 departed and he escaped. And so with that understanding in the background, we now go back to our psalm in Psalm 34 and we see something real interesting. Um, again, the psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech. Now, just in case you're wondering why is he called Achish in 1 Samuel and Abimelech here, Abimelech, it comes from two Hebrew words. You guys know Abba is, is daddy. Ab, Ab is father. Melech is king. And so it was a title given to the Philistine kings. And so a title, Abimelech, his name is Achish. Uh, and David goes there, we know. And, uh, and when he's uh, in this place, this city of Gath, it, it's just crazy that he would even go there. I mean, what's the, what's the dude thinking? I mean, he goes with this bright idea. He, he flees from Saul, and then, and then he runs to the Philistines. No, that's sometimes it's going, you guys ever heard that saying from the frying pan into the, the fire? I mean, that's how dumb the dude is at this point. He's not thinking. You're wondering, what's he thinking? The answer is he's not thinking. You know, I mean, I don't know for sure. We try to give him like a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe he thought they wouldn't recognize him. You know, Gath is the city, the hometown of Goliath. Remember, David killed Goliath. I mean, gave David, they all knew. He, when it says Saul killed his thousands, David killed his tens of thousands, uh, that most of those tens of thousands were Philistines. And so it makes no sense, no sense that he would go here to this place uh, of the Philistines. Maybe he's thinking, well, they won't recognize me because now I have a beard. I don't know. When he was 17, yeah, maybe he was clean cut. I don't know. But you know what is so funny is remember he stopped at the priest's house and he picks up Goliath's sword. So homeboy has this sword that's huge. That's only, only one person who have that sword. That's Goliath's sword. David goes in with the sword and it's like they're not going to recognize you. And so, you know, they, they say, hey, time out. You know, King Achish, this is David. This is the, they actually called him the king. They knew the prophecies, it's amazing. And, uh, and then David, when he found out that he was found out, then he started, you guys read the story, pretending that he was crazy, you know, going to the city gates and scratching them and then the saliva fall, you know, from his beard. And, uh, and then what ended up happening is, uh, um, and again, even this is kind of funny, that the king let him go. Oh, the guy's a madman, and I don't know, you know why, but for whatever reason, at that point, he let him go. And of course, we know why. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who gave him that escape, who delivered him. You know, when you look at that whole story right here, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, right? 
I mean, it's foolish to say the least. I think what he did was fatal. It's like jumping off a cliff and thinking you're going to be okay, like you're going to fly. You know, David survived, and when David did get out of it, the cool thing is he didn't pat himself on the back and say, okay, now we figured out a way to get out of situations like this, just pretend to be crazy. No, what he did when he survived it is he gave God the glory, and rightly so. And so we read in verses 1 through 3 how how David just said, I'm going to praise the Lord for the rest of my life. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord. How often? At all times. You're like, no, not today, Manny. Yeah, today. I will bless the Lord at all times. How can we possibly bless the Lord at all times? I mean, 24-7, you know, every day of the year. And I think that we can bless the Lord all times when we remember Psalm 31, verse 15, where the Bible says, my times are in your hand. The situation that you're in right now, do you think that it was something that escaped God's sovereignty? You think that he didn't want, you know, for you to be afflicted and we're going to talk about the situations that we find ourselves in? Let me tell you something. God is molding. God is working. God is shaping. God will even use your tough circumstances. David on the run. Uh, David, you know, running from Saul. David in the caves. David struggling. David dying inside. David not wanting to live All that was part of the preparation of the making of a man of God. He was being groomed to be the king one day. The thing is, just like Job, the thing is, you can't lose heart. You can't lose your faith. That's how we can bless the Lord at all times. We can bless the Lord at all times because he's working all things together for good. Romans 8.28 Even though his ways are not our ways, we need to know that God's ways are better than our ways. You know, we read in Isaiah 55, 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And you're like, no way. Yes way. His ways are so much better than yours. It's hard to understand sometimes, but we have to understand that God's ways are higher than, And therefore, God's word commands us the same thing in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Same thing. I will bless the Lord always. I will always bless the Lord in everything I'm going on in my life. Not that I'm necessarily enjoying the pain, but I know the pain has a purpose. And I know at the end of the day, it's not just because God wants to change you know, that person or that person. I mean, yeah, that's probably part of it because he's working on all of our lives. But don't you know that he's trying to change you? He's trying to change me. He's trying to make David, you know, what he would eventually be, a man after his own heart. And so you can bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall, it says in verse 1, continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and, and be glad. Now that's interesting. Because here's David writing all these songs, not knowing that they would last thousands of years. David wrote in, in 1000 BC. Here we are, you know what, 3000 years later, I mean, just getting blessed by them. It says right there, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. You know, all the, the struggles that he's going through, 
man, it was all with it for a purpose, right? And so he says there in verse 3, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And David said, I'll bless the Lord. Will you join me in, in blessing the Lord too? Let's do this together. Let's magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Make him look good. Don't drag his name through the mud. Praise him. Be an example. Magnify the Lord. Help people see who he really is and how he really is. He'll be there for you. And you begin to present the Lord to the people. You know, he's just, that's an expression of a praise, joining him in praise. And, and then he says, why, in verse 4, because I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You know, and fear is, 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 is crazy, huh? Because it's behind so much of what we struggle with. You know, and, and you know, here he says, the Lord heard me, I, I sought him, and he delivered me out of all my fears. He says, this is why I praise him. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. I like this. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. This is what we would call a psalm of deliverance. And you're going to see the, the deliver, it's everywhere. Here in, in verse uh, 7, we saw it in verse 4, and delivers me from all my fears. Uh, we see it again in verse 17 and, and again in verse 19. You're, you're going to be there one day. And you're going to need the Lord to deliver you. That's the God that we serve. You know, where would we be if God didn't deliver us from our enemy? Where would we be? You know, the other day I was uh, watching the news and my heart went out to a 19-year-old young lady who, I don't know if you guys heard it, uh, it was, she was driving seven miles the wrong way on the freeway. On the freeway, she was traveling the wrong way. And then she crashed into a car and she killed the, the person. This young man who had his whole future ahead of him, he was accepted to UCLA. And she killed him. And the reason she was you know, traveling the wrong way for seven miles is because she was under the influence of alcohol. She was intoxicated. And how many of you here, before you were Christians, you drove under the influence? I did that many times. I can't tell you how many times that I would go to my friend's house. I wouldn't eat all day. I would drink, drink, drink because I wanted to just pass out. But I would drive home. I mean, that could have easily been me. But God saw that one day I would accept him. God saw that one day I would surrender my life to him. And God protected me. God delivered me. Just like God will deliver you. That's the promise that we have here. You know, he delivers me from my enemy, but to be honest with you, the, great, the greatest enemy is me. I'm my greatest enemy. You know, David here, he's doing it to himself. He's running to the Philistines. I mean, talk about messing up. He, he did it to himself. I mean, yeah, he's on the run, but he can't blame Saul, and he can't blame Satan. I mean, he's running to... The enemy. And David here, he makes a decision to go in that direction. And in one sense, what happened is a lapse of faith and he kind of like lost God in his life. But look at verse 4. But then he sought 
God. I sought the Lord. And in God's amazing grace, he found him. And there in that moment, as he sought, he looked, he cried to the Lord from, notice, a heart of humility. Look at verse 6. The poor man, this poor man, cried out. And that, and that has nothing to do with finances, huh? You guys know that, right? It has everything to do with knowing and acknowledging the fact that he had messed up. I'm a poor man. I don't bring any righteousness to the table, God. I'm all, I'm just, like, you know, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? We read that over in Matthew 5, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, and that's the individual who humbles themselves to the point where they realize that they're a sinner and they're doomed. And so they cry out to God. Well, that's how you get saved, but that's also how you get sanctified. You know, when you're there and, you're, and you realize, I, I'm a poor man, this poor man cried out and, and he was delivered. And so David here, he starts teaching and then reaching out to others. Notice in verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know, and so David here, he's writing a psalm. And I, when, you're writing, when you're reading the psalms, it's really cool. Notice you know, the times where he's praying. And you can pray those prayers. And notice the times where he's proclaiming something about God. Notice the times where he's asking others to join in. Or even now, he's kind of like teaching. He's reaching out to others. And there in verse 8, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, it's hard to imagine, but the reality is there are those who have never tasted of the goodness of God. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It sounds like it, but... You know, you can tell them, you know, out there and they work with you and your neighbors or your friends, you know, you tell them, try God, you know, try, try God, you know, um, you've probably tried everything else only to find that it's not good, it, it doesn't satisfy, you're still hungry, you're still empty, you're still void inside and when we say, you know, try God, you know, we're not talking about a religion, we're not talking about you know, doing things in a superficial way. When we say try God, we're talking about doing things God's way. Living life God's way. Oh yeah, I tried it, I tried it. Yeah, you went to church, you know, every third Sunday or something and, you know, you popped open the Bible every once in a while, you played Bible bingo and, you know, I, I tried God. No, you didn't. You, maybe you maybe you smelled it, but you didn't taste it, so to speak. You didn't really try God, you know, because the Bible it says right here. Notice it says that that in verse ten, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And, and you're here, and yeah, I haven't experienced that. Well, is it God's fault? I don't think so. You know, when you try the Lord. And you taste and see who he is, 
you're going to see how awesome God is. You can't walk away. It's impossible. It's impossible to, to taste the Lord and not walk away realizing how wonderful he is, how loving he is, how holy he is, how awesome he is. Our maker, our maintainer, our redeemer. I mean, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you know, you're going to want more. You know, you guys, we go to Sam's Club, and they have some samples there. I'll be honest with you, no offense. I go to Costco. They have more samples there. And you don't even have to, you don't even have to pay for lunch anywhere. You could just go to Costco and... And, uh, and they give you so many samples, and they give you dirty looks when you go back three times, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it, you know, I, I just know that sometimes I'm even eating with my friends, and, you know, you're, you, you know you ordered a good dish because they're looking at it, you know. And so you just cut off a little piece, and you let them try it. Why do they give samples away at Costco? Why? Or Sam's? It's because they want you to buy, Right? And that's what David is kind of saying right here. In one sense, I know it sounds kind of funny, but just give God a chance. Really give him a chance and watch what happens. I mean, the thing about it that I see here is that we can really experience God. We can experience him with our spiritual senses. And a lot of it has to do with the word. You know, that's why the passage in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 In verse 2 and 3, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know? And if you've tasted that grace of God in your life, you're going to want more. And so when we seek the Lord like this, then we'll not lack any good thing. And it's just really an awesome promise we read there. Uh, I always think of Psalm 84, verse 11, and it's a passage that we all should know. I write it down if you, if you can. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I mean, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that your life is going to go the way that you planned it to go. But you've got to understand that when you walk with the Lord, that, you know, to the best of your ability, man, you're trying to stay in step with the Spirit, you know, you're trying to, to do His will, then you will lack no good thing in your life. That's the promise of God, and that's why it's so important that we walk obediently. The young lions, they lack. I mean, those things are beasts, man, and they know how to hunt, but you will never lack when you seek the Lord. And so he's trying to to teach him these things. Look at at verse 12. This has always been one of my favorite passages. It says, Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so, who is the man who desires life? Peter quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, the psalmist seems to be emphasizing the quantity of life, 
But Peter seems to be emphasizing the quality of life. Do you notice that? Look here in verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days? You know, here's, um, uh, uh, you know, David, and he almost died, right? I mean, he should have died. But God extended his life. God delivered him out of that situation where he was just crazy, right? And he extended his life. And so, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about that. How many of you here, you want to live a long, you want to live until you're like, you know, 97 or something, you know? And I guess there's nothing wrong with that, to be honest with you. I just... I don't know if I want to live that long. It depends on how many aches and pains and stuff. You know, but I I think that as Christians, more than quantity is quality. And that's where Peter comes in. Peter's cross-reference there is just awesome. It says, for he who would love life and see good days. Peter emphasizes the quality of life. And I tell you one thing, I would much rather have quality of life than quantity of life right and so he's asking well do you want that do you want a quality of life do you want to live do you want good days do you want that yes i want that so that what does he say then let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it you know, and this is a great uh, passage for you if you're married, huh? I mean, you know, our tongue, it gets us into so much trouble. And, and, and I've learned that, you know, over the years, you know, that in order for me to lo- love life, and I, and I really do want to love life, I do really want to just love life, then I have to make sure that I tame my tongue. And James 3, it talks all about that, Right? How many of you here, you get in trouble because you keep saying stupid things? (laughs) We keep saying things that we shouldn't say, you know, a mean thing, a derogatory statement. Listen, I mean, at at the end of the day, I mean, just put a guard over my mouth, Lord. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You know, and Ephesians 4, it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but that which is necessary for edification. Don't be putting people down. Build them up. Speak the truth in love. And so there, this is what you, you want. You know, you're taming the tongue. You're, you're taming your, your body. You're doing good. You know, depart from evil. Seek peace. Pursue it. And this is probably in reference to the fact that Saul was talking smack and those guys were saying things about David. And so we read in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting in reading this right here. Here's the contrast, right, between the saved and the unsaved. If you're saved, then God is for you. If you're not saved, then God is against you. And uh, how many of you would say that's a pretty big difference? God for me, God for me, God against me. Now, can God be against you if you're, you're a believer? Maybe. You know, I don't know if this is applicable or not, but I remember uh, Balaam, and I remember, I don't know, this guy's a mysterious guy in the Old Testament, you know, 
But uh, he was a guy that uh, got off and, and, you know, the Lord told him, you know, not to go with these guys unless, you know, they come and ask. And he weaved his way through it because he wanted to go and get what he wanted, which was the money. And to me, when I read that whole story about him, you guys remember on the donkey, then the angel of the Lord is ready to just, just kill this guy. You know, and, and to me, I think of that. Lord, I always want to be, I want you to be for me. But at the same time, the Lord says, you be for me too. <laughs> you know, we're in this together. And so right here, when we read about this, it's so important for us to understand that, that for the righteous, and that's a, a positional, practical righteousness, God's ears are open to our cries, but his face is against those who do evil. Verse 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and there's that word again, delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. And this is always an encouraging verse, right? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how brokenhearted David was. You know, what had he done wrong? I mean, he killed Goliath, he won victories, he played the harp for, for Saul. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're going to see in the next psalm that he really, they were angry with him without a cause. You know, and so here he is thinking to the Lord, what have I done wrong? And his heart is broken, Right? And so uh, this is a place where maybe you're here today and I'm not talking about, you know, being, you know, disciplined for doing wrong. I'm talking about being, um, you know, afflicted for doing right. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're being disciplined that you can't have a broken heart. I think it's applicable to you as well. You know, and when you're there with a broken heart, when you're there, and you know, I, I was thinking about when Mary died. Mary was there after Jesus had died. You guys remember the story, and uh, and she went to the tomb, and she was just weeping and weeping and weeping. And then Jesus was there, and you know, Jesus tries talking to her, and she doesn't know it's Jesus. Why? So many tears. So many tears. Couldn't recognize him. You know, sometimes it's like that. Yeah the broken heart, and you're just so devastated. And she didn't even know that, that Jesus was right there with her. And if that's you, you know, I want you to know that he's near you. I mean, not me. God wants you to know that he's near you. See, it's so important for us to understand that truth. You know, that God is near the, the brokenhearted. Lately, it, as a pastor, it seems that more and more tears are being shed with people that I meet with and people that I'm praying for and our heart goes out to them. These with that contrite spirit. And so we read in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know, and I, I just pray you guys hold on to that. I pray that you hold on to that, that, 
you know, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of tribulations, a, a lot of afflictions. I mean, not only do the righteous experience these things, we experience many of these things. Acts 14.22, it says, through many tribulations, we'll enter the kingdom of God. And I was talking to one guy the other day, and again, just yesterday, in, was it yesterday? Yeah, in my office, a grown man, weeping like a baby. I mean, it's just, and I can't, I, this is a heavy, heavy, heavy situation. One of the big things of life, and, and is, and is, and I, but he's called to the ministry. And, and so, I, 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 you know, we're talking, we're praying, I'm sharing with him what God's word says, trying to encourage him, give him practical wisdom. But then when it was done, I don't know why I felt like the Lord say, and there's going to be more. I mean, you know, sometimes we get hit and we're like, okay, Lord, that's it, no more. And then, but that's, when you're a Christian who wants to grow and seek the Lord, there's going to be another one. And there's going to be another one. You're only going to go as far as you fail. And so go through these, understanding that the afflictions, there's going to be a lot. I get scared sometimes, to be honest with you. I think about it. And I'm like, Lord... I, I want to be everything you want me to be, but to be honest with you, Lord, I don't really want the trials. I don't, but if, that, if I had to choose, bring them on, Lord. Just carry me through them. That as I go through these afflictions, I go through the trials, Lord, that I will never lose heart. That I will never lose faith. Because, I mean... David went through what he went through for us. So did Job. So did Jesus. Right? And so it says in verse 20 that God guards all his bones. Not one of them is, is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. Interesting. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned i always tell people the only way you lose is if you quit this is a psalm of victory it's a psalm of victory right and when i say quit i mean man don't give up on the things the lord has called you to don't give up on the lord and so you know let's go through chapter 35 my son was telling me dad do three psalms tonight he wants me to get through it, but it's hard. Look at verse 1. It's a psalm of David, and, and this is interesting. It's like this portion is a prayer. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Let me ask you a question. Who do you fight against? Is it your wife? Is it your spouse? Is it your boss? Is it your kids? Who do you fight against? Ultimately, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, David here is probably visualizing Saul and, and Doeg and all those guys, but we know it's not people. Lord, that demon, those demons, that devil... 
that hosts that are coming against me, they strategize while I'm sleeping. They're trying to take me down. Lord, get them. Like, 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 you know, Michael said, even when dealing with Satan, the Lord rebuke you, right? That's what he's saying here. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler, Lord. Put your armor on. Stand up for me, my help. Also draw out the spear. You know, Saul had been throwing spears at him. Lord, you, you get your spear, Lord. Stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, Lord, encourage me. It's interesting the way he works. Lord, tell me, remind me that you're my salvation. I am your salvation. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like the chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. And that's probably Jesus himself. The angel of the Lord, you know, the messenger of the Lord. Let their way be dark and slippery. Let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause, they have hidden their net for me in a pit, which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly and let his net that he has hidden catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. You know, and when you look at this right here, you know, we see that Saul had the army of Israel hunting him down. So David, you know, calls upon the captain of God's army to hunt them down, right? Lord, uh, plead for me, fight for me. Take up your shield, put on your armor, draw out your spill. Lord, stop them, put them to shame, turn them back, bring them to confusion and pursue me who pursue me and plot my hurt. And so it's a prayer, interesting. I think it's like a prayer for, for poetic justice, you know. These guys are setting their net for me. Lord, catch them in their own net. And sometimes it is people. I mean, it is people that come against us. And it's kind of cool. The Lord will deal with them, right? But at the end of the day, that's not really what we want. We want them to get saved. And and what we're, what I'm really you know, looking forward to is, you know, Revelation chapter 20 when it says one day Satan and all his fallen angels are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And how God defeats them even in our own life, you know? And the poetic justice to it all. You know, to me it's really interesting going back to the book of Exodus how the Pharaoh said, you know how we'll take these Jews down? You know how we'll take these people down? This is what we're going to do, man. What I want you to do is when those baby boys are born, I want you to throw them into the water. You just take them and you throw them into the water, right? That was his plan. That was his plan. But of course we know that, that, that what happened is just amazing. In that plan, you know, this little boy, you know, Moses was put into the water. He floats over to, uh, you know, Pharaoh's daughter she picks him up and, you know, she combined with the Jewish mom who, who, you know, nurses him. You know, then he's weaned and then he's brought up in Pharaoh's house. He learns how to write. He learns how to lead. Um, God does a work in him. And basically in the devil's plan, God raises up the deliverer. In the devil's plan to destroy the Jews, God raises up the one who would deliver the Jews. And the devil's plan to, to drown him in the water, 
You guys fast forward and you go through all the plagues and then what happens to Pharaoh's army? They all drown in the water. It's poetic justice. And I'm telling you this, man. God is perfect in his justice. And right here is David is saying, you know, Lord, get them with the things that they want to get me with. Like Haman and Mordecai, you guys remember that whole story? Trying to destroy the Jews. He's, I'm going to get this guy. He does a, a gallow at 75 feet high. That's crazy. That's two telephone poles. And then what ends up happening? Homeboy gets hung on him himself, huh? And so trust the Lord. You can trust him. It's so cool how God just, he delivers us, right? And so we read right here in in, in verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones. And whenever you read that a lot in the Psalms about the bones, and it's talking about to the core, from the core of who you are, shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, I mean, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting. My prayer would return to my own heart. I mean, he would just pray over and over and over again for his friends who were sick. He says, I paced as though... You know, he were my friend or brother. I bowed down. I mean, I got down on my knees and prayed for them as one who mourns for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered together. Attackers gathered against me and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. This is what David went through. You think you have it bad? But he didn't lose heart. He didn't lose faith. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. He wrote about the dark valleys that he went through. So did Job. But they never lost their faith. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions. My precious life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. And you know what is so cool? Because after it was all done and, and he went through that time of testing, you know, and you will go through a time of testing, then when it was all done, imagine, just imagine the joy of being where he belonged, serving the people as the king of Israel after everything he went through. And I'm telling you, God will do that in your life wherever he's called you to. But what I fear in the church is that so many people, they don't make it there because they just, they don't pass the tests. Listen, man, the joy that he got It says right here that he would praise him among many people. And I could just imagine him in front of all the people. What a story. Let them not rejoice over me 
who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. And again, I, I think for us, maybe you can't identify a person, but the enemy is trying to take you down. He is strategizing. He's got a plan. He's studying you, your vulnerabilities, whatever they might be. They also opened their mouth wide against me and they said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. This ye have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silence. O Lord, do not be far from me. I mean, and we've learned as we've gone through the Psalms that part of the way that we get the victory is through prayer. And not just like, you know, little feeble prayers, but crying out to God crying out to him. This is what he's doing. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, not mine. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, and so we would have it. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. How many men and women have been swallowed up by Satan? You know, in so many ways. I mean, I tell you what, you might not be getting drunk or high, but if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If he can't deceive you, he'll distract you. We're talking about people who are seeking after God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. People who fall in love with God. Nothing less. Our God is worthy of nothing less than a complete surrender to him. But how many are not willing to do that? You know, so many get swallowed up. Verse 26, let them be ashamed and and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, I like this, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And you know, that could be you. God does have pleasure in your spiritual prosperity. God will bless you beyond your wildest imagination, exceedingly abundantly above what you could ever think or ask or imagine. You don't know what God has for you. He takes pleasure in your prosperity. But in that whole thing, God is magnified. God is magnified. And in the end, my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. And so God delivers us, huh? I was reading uh, some more of these articles and we can have maybe Erlen and Ariel can come on up and we'll close with a, a song about how God delivers. I wonder, some of you guys here tonight, you know that you're in the middle of the uh, crazy situation. And I won't make you raise your hand, but you need to be delivered, huh? You need deliverance. And and God is is willing to do that. You know, I read about uh, some different uh, uh, people who survived crazy things. This is interesting. Did you guys ever heard of Roy Sullivan? He was struck by lightning seven times. Seven times. True story, man. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, if, if he was, I guess there's something about him that attracted the lightning. 
So one time, even his wife got struck. So if I wouldn't be around this guy if, if I were you. But he survived it. There was another guy who was uh, working in a train, and he fell off the train. He was one of those guys, and he, the, the, the train ran over him and it cut him in half. So uh, I guess his legs. And so he was able to bring out his cell phone and call for help. And uh, he had to wait 42 minutes. He survived. He had 23 surgeries. He was delivered. But I thought, well, Lord, that's not a good illustration for us because, um, I don't know, it's not necessarily us doing it, although in one sense, yeah, we do pray. But then there was this last guy, and uh, this guy, Mauro Prosperi, he survived uh, nine days in the Sahara Desert. And I guess he was on uh, some type of a run, and there was a sandstorm, and he got misguided or directed, and he ran in the wrong direction. And so, um, I don't want to gross you out, but you know, he found himself lost in the Sahara Desert, um, drinking his own urine, eating snakes and bats. It finally came to a point where he was suffering so much, he lost 35 pounds in nine days that he wanted to take his life. He tried to, he slit his wrists, but the blood was, it, because he hadn't had any water, it, it, it didn't flow, so he didn't die. And there he was left to die. But then what happened is just some people happened to come by and they found him and they rescued him. And that's us. That's what God has done for us. You read Ezekiel 16 and you'll see <laughs> that's what God has done for us. And so how many of you here would say that he's worthy to be praised? And he's worthy for you to live your whole life for him. Not just a portion of your heart but my prayer is all of your heart.